welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. After what felt like non-stop cases over the last two months, the circuits were silent this week. None. No cases, except a few crime of violence sentence enhancement cases that aren't very helpful for non-citizens. But don't you fret, loyal listeners and sponsors. I've got two cases that I've been holding on to for this very moment. But actually, there was something that caught my eye this week. USAB Rivera out of the Third Circuit. Not uber important for immigration as I see it, except for reminding me that in 2018, President Trump signed into law the Farm Bill, which, quote, amended the Controlled Substances Act to exclude hemp from the definition of marijuana, end quote. Got a little tricky in the decision, but to me, that would seem to indicate that any post-2018 state conviction related to marijuana wouldn't match the federal definition of marijuana if that state still includes hemp in the definition of marijuana. The immigration consequences of marijuana continue to burn away. And with that, sit back and relax as I discuss the others. This podcast is sponsored by Journey Business Plans. Journey is the leading business immigration plan writing company in the United States. 10 years. And they know immigration. Heck, they started as an E2 company themselves. Journey prides itself on its responsiveness and overall customer service, preparing business plans for E2, EB2 NIW, L1, EB5, and much more. If you don't yet know about Journey and don't want to listen to just me, ask your colleagues, or even better, try them out. Visit www.journey.com and use promo code REVJOURNEY30 for a 30% discount on your first business plan. That's R-E-V-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y-3-0. Or click on the link in the show notes. This podcast is also sponsored by Capital Good Fund. 
Millions of families seeking to improve their immigration status face financial barriers due to the high cost of legal services. Nonprofit Capital Good Fund is working to make these resources available to all, especially those who would otherwise not qualify for traditional loans. Certified CDFI Capital Good Fund is partnering with attorneys to provide the financial services families need. They offer affordable financing with no closing fee or down payments for those working with attorneys to move their case forward and get attorneys out of the accounts receivable business. To learn more about the program, email immigration at goodfund.us or call 866-584-3651 and tell them who sent you. The first case I want to talk about is Martinez v. Clark et al., published by the Ninth Circuit on May 30th, 2023. This case is about immigration detention something near and dear to my heart. And it's a dissent from a denial of rehearing and bunk, meaning that the original panel Martinez v. Clark decision stands. But I think it's important to highlight the kind of things that Judge Berzon, joined by the chief, and nine other judges would have held. In the 2022 panel decision, the panel held that federal district courts lack jurisdiction to review the Board of Immigration Appeals' final determination that a non-citizen poses a danger to the community and so is not entitled to be released from immigration detention on bond. Presumably, ever. This doesn't make sense to the 11 dissenters here, who would like to decide this case again. To the dissenting judges, the, quote, default rule, end quote, under immigration law, is that the government has authority to release non-citizens on bond. Now, IJs can't release a non-citizen that an IJ deems dangerous, nor can an IJ release individuals whose criminal past subjects them to mandatory detention under INA Section 236C. But on the other hand, the federal habeas relief, which is as old as the Republic itself, is designed to prevent unjust prolonged detention while the Due Process Clause of the U.S. Constitution, quote, requires the government to show by clear and convincing evidence that the detainee presents a flight risk or a danger to the community, end quote. Non-citizens have constitutional rights, too. If individuals detained but deemed dangerous by an IJ and the BIA, or those subject to mandatory detention who somehow get a bond hearing, can't get circuit review, then the BIA has the last word and they remain detained for the entirety of their immigration proceedings, no matter how long those proceedings last. Here, Mr. Martinez was being held for years in mandatory detention based on an old drug conviction that, if I'm guessing, might not reflect who he is today. Unclear. He succeeded in getting a bond hearing, but he was deemed dangerous and so he was not released on bond. The panel here said that the District Court and the Ninth Circuit can't review that BIA finding that Mr. Martinez is dangerous. The dissenters don't like that. To the dissenters, quote, whether the government has unreviewable discretion to determine if a non-citizen should be detained as a danger to the community is a question of considerable constitutional significance. Freedom from imprisonment, from government custody, detention, or other forms of physical restraint lies at the heart of the liberty that the Due Process Clause protects, end quote. The panel's rule that's not being reheard now allows DHS to hold people in immigration detention for years while they fight their case, and if an IJ or the BIA mess up as to whether the individual is actually dangerous, no federal court can review it, at least in the Ninth Circuit. 
And I mean, every month on the podcast, we discuss cases where a circuit overturns the BIA, for example, on the correct application of a crimmigration provision. So this stuff is not just academic. Quote, the Constitution may well preclude granting an administrative body the unreviewable authority to make determinations implicating fundamental rights, end quote, like freedom. But the majority disagreed, believing it was just too discretionary a determination, that is, whether someone is dangerous, for a circuit to know how to review it. The dissent points out that federal courts conduct such analyses all the time. But the majority decision stands. Quote, the panel grants the government unconstrained discretion to determine whether individuals in civil removal proceedings should be detained based on dangerousness without judicial backstop. End quote. As with so many things with immigration now, the BIA is getting the last word. And so it kind of seems like, as with circuit judges, but not nearly as discussed, the judicial philosophies of the BIA's members have become that much more important. And that is Martinez v. Clark et al. Next is De Leon Resendez v. ExxonMobil Corporation, published by the Fourth Circuit on July 10th, 2023. This is the only other decision I've got. Not a petition for review case in the slightest. But Ira told me to check it out. Why not make the man happy? Plus. He's always right. Mr. DeLeon has DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Thank you, Justice Roberts. But although it's now been around 10 years, DACA is not a permanent fix, and certain politicians and judges want to kill it and take away the lifeline supporting about a million people who grew up in the United States. Apparently, Exxon requires permanent work authorization for their internship or employment at the company. Like, I guess, a green card? Can't think what else would truly be permanent work authorization under United States immigration law. Quote, While a student at North Carolina State University, Mr. DeLeon was recruited by ExxonMobil for an internship. Mr. DeLeon told ExxonMobil that he is not a United States citizen, but erroneously represented that he had permanent work authorization under federal law. End quote. Note the word erroneously. Seems like it might have been a mistake. DACA is confusing. And indeed, Mr. DeLeon, quote, excelled as an engineering student, end quote. So Exxon hired him for an internship, but they rescinded their offer when they realized that his work authorization, permanent for the last 10 years, was tied to DACA, which is technically not permanent because Congress hasn't come to an agreement about what to do with these 1 million people who grew up in the United States. So Mr. DeLeon sued, and he argued that Exxon's policy is discriminatory, as it discriminates based on alienage. The lower court dismissed the lawsuit. The Fourth Circuit affirmed. Now, explain the Fourth Circuit. The Supreme Court has not yet expanded the statutory protections at play in this case to, quote, encompass alienage-based discrimination, end quote. But the Fourth Circuit has. That's 42 U.S.C. section 1981 that we're talking about, by the way. You can't, for example, refuse to sell a home to someone in the Fourth Circuit because they're not a U.S. citizen. Nor does the Fourth Circuit see a legal difference between that non-citizen in that prior case adjudicating all this who held lawful permanent residence status and Mr. DeLeon, who only has DACA. 
no distinction for Section 1981 discrimination purposes. And indeed, in the United States, most Supreme Court justices recognize that the constitutional and other, quote, legal protections extend to aliens, whether legally present or not, end quote. So that's good. But, though, explained the Fourth Circuit, Mr. DeLeon failed here because even reading his complaint in the way most favorable to him, which is what's required at the motion-to-dismiss stage, his civil complaint failed to plausibly allege intentional discrimination by Exxon, as the statute under 1981 has been interpreted to require. Exxon, for example, only even became aware of Mr. DeLeon because it, Exxon, came to NC State to, quote, give a presentation to the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, end quote. Then again, Hispanic isn't the same as alienage. But then again, Exxon did, quote, extend him an offer despite knowing that he was an alien, end quote. All facts weighing in Exxon's favor to show that it's not discriminating based on alienage. But Exxon could nevertheless still be violating Section 1981. Because, quote, when an employer imposes a policy that leads to different outcomes between otherwise identical employees based purely on an employee's protected characteristic, we know the employer intentionally discriminates based on that characteristic, end quote. And remember, alienage is a protected characteristic in the Fourth Circuit. But that's not what's going on here, said the Fourth. Mr. De Leon is not the same as other aliens, a word I'm using because this whole case is about alienage. He only has temporary work authorization, and people with temporary work authorization are not a protected class. At least when framed like that by the Fourth Circuit, that what we're really talking about is temporary work authorization, and not one's alienage. So framed, Mr. De Leon did not succeed. Now Exxon could change its policy and hire DACA people. Or Congress could change the law of employment for all non-citizens. Or at a minimum, Congress could fix this DACA problem and the other problems affecting people like visa dreamers who were brought to the United States as children and are now kind of stuck without options in the only country that they've ever known. But for now, Mr. De Leon a precedentially recognized excellent engineer, can't work for Exxon. Or that is to say, Exxon can bar him and beat back his lawsuit. And that is De Leon Resendez, the Exxon Mobil Corporation. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official immigration review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet, at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. 
I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.